Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, Eve. Hey, Karen. How are you? I am exhausted. Me too. Yeah, what's what's going on with School you? School is back, and I turned in 300 pages of writing like two days ago, and I haven't slept it off yet. Oh, that is rough. And you? I'm going through a fun, like hormone dose change that was very immediate and not at all tapered so i am crashing super hard and it is not fun at all actually so i'm i'm and this is happening like in the middle of school so i skipped a bunch of classes yesterday and i don't know if i'm gonna make it today for these classes that i really shouldn't be missing oh man that sucks it's terrible but i'm here so glad you're here there's that and we have a guest we have my classmate Reagan here. Hi. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, I'm a first year student here at Hollands, and um, I don't know. I'm here on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. So we were going to talk about godly genderhood today. Yeah, so I I thought it would be really cool to have a bunch of queer trans perspectives on gender. So I'm going to just kind of start off with, I guess, Reagan, what was your, like, growing up experience? How was gender explained to you as a kid growing up? I suppose my earliest memories were um, being in a Baptist church and sort of being told how to sit. Um, There was sort of a mixed environment with um, little boys and little girls and I think it arose out of some of the girls being rambunctious and having on dresses. So naturally they wanted them to close their legs and there's this sort of lecture about how to sit And I remember being told that I had to sit either with my legs open or like ankle crossed at the thigh. Um, And those are like the only two options for me or for any man. And so I, I remember feeling like, oh, this is what I must do, and then spreading my legs super, like, <laughs> super far apart, and they were, dra- like, draped over the side of the folding chair, <laughs> so. <laughs> Just man-spreading everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember also being taught those things and, like, have to sit with your legs crossed or, like, your knees, like, your legs together and knees, like, to the side, like, to, like, a princess, like, in The Princess Diaries. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, very 1950s, right. like, demure, like, parallel legs yeah. to the side. Yeah. Like, you have to sit like a princess or whatever. You can't have, like, your legs crossed or anything that would show that you have, like, a knee. <laughs> Eve, what was, what was your experience with gender? Um, I just 
just remember like a lot of competitive moments with neighborhood boys because there are a lot of boys in my age in the neighborhood and there weren't really any girls and so like playing with them it would always be like pretty normal until we went uh, until they all started kindergarten and they all came back from like the first or second day being like ew you have cooties we can't play with you anymore and me being like yeah well I can still outrun you and <laughs> just like chasing them down the block I don't know. I it just was a lot of like trying to prove that I was as you know fast or agile as them, um, and then you know by degrees being more and more restricted. There was a moment when I was eleven, and my um, mom was like, "Now you can ride your bike beyond you know to this block and that block." Like it was like a four or five block radius. But, you know, no further. And if you're a boy, we really wouldn't care about this. But because you're a girl, you can't, like, you know, there's a, a farm, like a, a local, because we're living in the Central Valley in California, there's this local community college that had a, an educational farm center pretty close to my house. It was probably half a mile away. And that's where I wanted to go. But it was, like, out, you know, outside of that four-block radius. Mm. And so she was like, no, you can't go there on your own. And I just definitely went there all the time on my own because <laughs> I was just like no this is this is stupid I'm I can do anything a boy can do why would I not do that was there a point in either of your childhoods I guess where your parents like started policing more and more about your expression of gender yeah definitely and that's something I'm writing about right now um so I remember being three years old and putting a towel on my head and basically telling my mom that I was a girl and giving myself a female name. Um, and, you know, my mom kind of played it off as a joke and she said, no, you're not, you know, and used my male name. And that was kind of, I think when I realized that whatever I was feeling wasn't acceptable. And I kind of continued on from there in terms of like the ways that I would try to express myself or um, the things I'd be interested in, such as my mother's makeup. And I remember, it's funny because I don't remember actually the moment when I was banned from my mother's makeup drawer, but I know what happened because when I um, got back into it, I realized that um, what I was doing was forbidden. So there was that, oh, my mother's jewelry, and of course, like, being in the closet, in, like, in her closet, rather. Literally. And, and <laughs> yeah. Literally, yeah. too. But, like, going in there and, like, trying on her shoes and wanting to walk around in her high heels and things like that. So that was all, um, I remember just, that was like a firm no for me growing up. Mm -hmm. So of course, you know, when I was left home alone, the first thing I did was do those kinds of things. (laughs) (laughs) And she's written a great scene about it too. (laughs) Nice. There's all these essays evolving out of this stuff. For me, it was more about being sexualized. So, um, being told, like, 
you have to help mom in the kitchen with this or you have to um, you know not sit like that and you can't you know, I don't know scratch your butt in public or it's these like things like that's not ladylike that's not ladylike and there was this moment where I was like eight years old and we were at this homeschool camp in the mountains um, and we've been there for a couple of days and it was like dehydration was making my my skin look funny um so I was like very flushed and my lips were really red and chapped and I remember my mom like grabbing me by my shoulder and being like why are you wearing lipstick you know you're not allowed to wear lipstick that's like immodest like and so and I was like no my lips just look like that I didn't know I didn't do anything and it was this this sense of like I have to make myself not sexual. I have to make myself like not stand out. I have to basically not draw attention to the fact that I have a body. Yeah. So it was never so much about it. Like you have to behave this way. It was a don't do this. Yeah. I was sort of kind of a mix of both of those things. There was definitely a lot of like desexualizing or like like I also wasn't allowed to wear makeup I wasn't allowed to wear like more than lip gloss unless I was performing or something uh until like until I started courting and then my parents were suddenly fine with it because I was supposed to be getting married so suddenly I was supposed to you know (laughs) know how all this worked and all that um but also, I yeah, that zero to sixty thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a whole that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> that's a, that's an entirely different episode, dedicated right to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but like I remember when I was fourteen, I was actually sort of able to get away with it, but there was there was a bit of side eye and a lot of like reinforcing no but you're not a boy um where when i was the the only way that i was able to be allowed to like blog on the internet was if i pretended to be a boy because it was at the height of all the crazy like florida predators talking to like florida teenagers on the internet and there was like this whole slew of old men who were caught soliciting like children uh in florida and it was all girls for the most part so my parents were like well you can blog but you have to not be a girl on the internet and i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) oh darn (laughs) interesting i i wore i remember this period where i um i hated tights Tights suck. I, I mean, I still hate tights, but I, I like outside of ballet, I wouldn't wear them, and so I remember this this period where I would try to find like the most modest slacks and all these outfits that were like super modest, but like allowed me to wear pants so that I, like in the winter, so that I wouldn't wear mm-hmm. um, have to wear tights to church. And I remember like um, wearing around that same time I wore overalls for like a year straight (laughs) and I remember my mom just being like here let me make you these dresses these jumpers that you know they 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 have the same kind of top coverage as overalls um but their dresses are more feminine Uh. Um, and I remember her like wanting to put patterns on them and me being like no super simple so they were like 
basically the color of like homeschool boy navy and khaki pants like Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what they were they were the same (laughs) fabric but just dresses yeah while i was pretending to be a boy i like i wrote all the same ways that people who read mask tend to write and i it was it was cool because I actually finally had this expression for the more masculine side of myself that my parents were allowing because it was keeping me safe. But as soon as I tried to express sort of more masculine and take a more like leadership role in kind of anything offline, that was immediately slapped down. And I was told that was not my place. I was a woman. I was not supposed to be over men. I was supposed to only ever be like under men and serving them and hoping helping them fulfill their purpose. <laughs> but I did also at the same time have this entire other like world where I was like allowed to express masculinely and everyone thought I was a dude and I wore like uh cargo pants and camo shirts for like a year after we moved to Atlanta. And my parents were somehow okay with that. But then, like, they were kind of judgy about it. So I I did, like, a whole skirts-only thing for a year also to kind of, like, get them to chill. Even though they never said anything about it, it was just one of those things that, like, I felt like I needed to, in order to get them to, like, stay off my back. I um, had this really vivid memory when I was at summer camp. I went to a Baptist summer camp. And... We had a dress up your counselor day. <laughs> so you can imagine where this is going. And um, my counselor and another counselor both uh, cross dressed. Well, the campers wanted to cross dress their counselors. Um, so I believe it was um, a female counselor who we borrowed clothes from. And my, my counselor's name was Pedro, and, he, and this uh, Mexican guy with this like buzz cut flat top haircut. <laughs> and so he wore this, fl- you know, like floral print skirt and these combat boots. And um, I don't know whose idea this was, but really creative stuff. That is extremely my aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And um, so somebody had an atomic fireball can- candy and licked it and then put uh, lipstick uh, on him <laughs> using that. Oh my god. And it was great. He looked great. And then um, the other counselor like took it a step further and was like wearing nail polish and makeup, like actual makeup and um he may have even shaved his legs Um, amazing and um so it was you know i was a blast and i was like oh my gosh like and of course i was doing all these things by then because it was like i was like 14 and you know we kind of had our thing and we had our fun and afterwards i remember like there being these grumblings of like oh the people in charge are really upset about this. Oh, and yeah. I was like, you know, I started to get really sort of nervous and like wondering 
what the deal was because I didn't like I just knew that I was sort of at this point disobeying my parents and their rules about makeup and clothing and things like that so I didn't realize sort of where this was all coming from and my girlfriend at the time we were like we were like pen pals you know um she showed me this passage in the bible that i had never read before you know the the deuteronomy verse Mm -hmm. and i remember reading that for the first time and i just felt so like we're like i just did not i don't have the words even i'm still working on that but i felt so terrible you know and um it was sort of this moment of feeling very exposed and then very like I don't know just buried in shame and um terror you know um so that was kind of this really defining moment I think I remember some similar like youth group activity like I wasn't uh, allowed to go to youth group but I remember like there was some rumblings after some something like that happened in our church youth group when I was pretty small and my dad like deciding to like go off on this lecture about like we don't do that in our house this is like an abomination and like God frowns on this and like you know just I think also maybe what sparked it is like we were playing dress up and we like put my brother in a dress. Um, we also put the dog in a dress. So. <laughs> um, but it was like this, like we were using my brother's this like doll and it was around the same time as all that was happening. And so my dad had this like lecture with my sister and I about cross dressing and he kept using the word abomination over yeah. and over. Yeah. That word. I remember, uh, I was at Team Pact for National Convention the second year, I think. And uh, Tim Eccles sat down the entire student body and just gave us this lecture about how terrible it is for men to be effeminate. And what he was really trying to say is gay or trans, but like without using those words... And, and it was just like, it was, it was like an hour and a half, if not longer of him just yelling at us about how like it's sinful and an abomination and the most unchristian, the most evil thing to even pretend to be queer because some, some boys in in camp that year were like marginally flamboyant like it wasn't even super gay it was just slightly less like macho than like someone wanted them to be but like for a group of homeschooled nerd boys like <laughs> some of them used to be put their pop their arms akimbo on their head or something right yeah like they danced okay like <laughs> <laughs> Wow, white boy, white homeschool boys, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So Yuck. obviously, dangerous threat, and and then proceeded to tell us, uh, in in no uncertain terms, what godly manhood and godly womanhood looked like, and it was like women are supposed to 
be the helpmeets and they're supposed to find a godly husband and give them lots of children and homeschool those children and, and you know the whole like 200 year plan and the, the takeover and all, all of the the vast right-wing conspiracy that we talk so much about all of that okay uh, but I, have a, I have a question on this actually this is yeah. just, as it's occurring to me so this whole all of the developments of the, the signs of the end times like increasing levels of of you know queer behavior and acceptability of queerness in public was like one of those those mm-hmm. signs right yeah so why would they try to tamp it down if they wanted Jesus to come back right <laughs> right like you'd think they'd be about as ambivalent about it as they are about climate change like exactly like oh well you know it's like, well, when you we know. all get new bodies you'll realize what you did wrong right yeah <laughs> But no, in, instead of being, being even like slight, even, even, even the slightest inkling that someone could be not straight is like a death sentence and, and you're just called out and, and spit on for existing and expressing yourself in any way. Did either of you know anyone who came out as queer when you were still like in conservative Christianity like someone from that world who came out and got ostracized or, or something I yeah there was one I think there was one person who came out as as gay around the time that I was still there but kind of leaving and it was like this weird kind of hushed silence kind of like you just never heard of that person again mm-hmm. They were just, like, fell off the planet into somewhere. Yeah, this guy that was a bit younger than me eventually came out as gay. I I don't know that he did that when I was um, in contact with him. But I do remember at camp there was this guy that, you know, he was kind of skinny, um... I wouldn't call him quite effeminate, but definitely not not masculine or macho in any way. Kind of nerdy, and um, there was a rumor that he was bi, and um, I'm surprised they even knew what that was. Yeah, I I know. (laughs) Well, I don't think anybody really knew, but but some people apparently knew, and then there was like. Um, oh, his door swings both ways. That's what they said. You know what I mean? And then it's like, okay, well, we kind of understand what you're talking about. And then, so he got picked on. I do remember him being picked on. And then he came, like, the next year, he's a little bit taller. And um, he sort of, like, went into this, like, goth mode. So... Um, I guess he kind of reinvented himself a little bit. Did he get left alone more? I think so. I think he did. I think he found his place a little bit more. Um, But it's interesting what you say, Kieran, about the sort of intensity that the, I don't know, the, the kind of curriculum or like the organized material that this was of that you had been indoctrinated with 
I didn't really experience that so much. I think it was part of the culture more. Um, everything was very gendered and divided. Um, like, we had a flower committee, and it was just sort of... Um, at church. Yeah, at church. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of a... Um, know unspoken that that was the women's domain and same with kitchen committee you didn't um, have any women like elders or no like on the leadership team at all it was like the thing not they, at all this was like the one way they were allowed to be in charge of something yes mm-hmm. it was very patriarchal of course and i do remember a few uh, sort of things that happened where there were um remarks about gender variance like at camp one year one of the guest speakers sort of told this little anecdote about there were some trans women that were walking in um of course he didn't use that word but walking in the door at um a restaurant that he was going to and they kind of like apparently they like stopped and as in his words, waited for him to open the door for them, and he was, like, sort of making a a big deal about how, like, he wasn't going to do that, and, like, they can open the door themselves, they're they're really men, etc. Wow. And, um, so that was sort of, like, a little tangent. Oh, yeah, door opening is, like, a big deal. Oh, my God. I forgot about this. Okay, yeah, so, like, I remember at (laughs) Grove City, I mean, my college they um there's these huge heavy doors in the student union in the sack um that's what we called it the student activity center was what it was called when i was there the sack and these doors are really heavy and like most people of any gender would have to like lean into yanking them open to get them to budge and um i remember there were all these moments where like guys would like run ahead of groups of girls to like hold them open and like throw their entire body weight up against this door to like hold it open they'd stand there in the freezing cold like for minutes on end while like more and more people kept coming through because they just couldn't they didn't know when to stop or when the queue was to stop (laughs) yeah i remember that too like that was a huge part of all of the churches that i went to in, in every community that i was involved in was the door opening thing and I remember this weird kind of subversive, liberating feeling that I got when I opened the door for people. Like, I was breaking some law by, like, holding the door open See, because I, I was I, a girl. I got the, that, that feeling from when I would use the, the chivalry to make guys do things that they wouldn't necessarily have done, like, to make them, like pay attention to someone else and be more generous or kind or, or something like I, I like used it in a kind of a backhanded way to make them do emotional labor that they weren't interested in doing nice and that always made me feel really powerful that's great <laughs> all of uh, any of my friends from college are listening to this they'll just be like yeah <laughs> that was a thing yeah I think um with the having someone come out in our community. One of the interesting things for my upbringing is that um, my, both of my aunts have had same-sex relationships. 
<laughs> and I'm like using that in air quotes because you know the whole like struggling with same sex attraction SSA. Uh, yeah. It was the like the the <laughs> Christianese term for being queer. Um, so my dad's sister brought a woman to my parents' wedding, and that you know was like one of the least dramatic things about that day because my my dad's parents were divorced and had not seen each been in the same room with each other in like a decade and so that was the most huh. dramatic thing about that day rather than you know the two women in the front row um and then my mom's sister is a lesbian and she's always been very open about that she got married when she was in the military to get um better housing with her you know her her fake husband and just this gay guy and they had their own lives and mm-hmm. and it was like this perfectly happy arrangement you know she this is something that she's like I don't really talk about that because it wasn't real um and my mom like never really got much into like judging the sexuality stuff she just was sad that her sister was lonely and thought that like being a Christian would fix that and it didn't really take much more specific shape than like, you know, I, I wish my sister didn't drink. I wish my sister wasn't alone. Like that's about all it came down to. My father, however, was a lot more strict about these things. And his best friend from college um, was in the military and was married and had four kids with his wife. And I babysat for the family and was very involved with them. Um, and then when I was in college, I. Um, or newly married, actually, I think, um, whenever Don't Ask, Don't Tell got overturned, um, this guy came out, and his wife flipped her lid and left him and, like, was really bitter about it. And the way he tells it, he's like, I told her this before we got married. I told her that I was gay. Like, I, like I, I told her what we were she was getting into but she still wanted to do it and he had gone through a conversion therapy oh. so, so he was really trying hard to like keep a lid on it too so i think it was on both sides they were trying to ignore it um but my father like wrote him a bunch of letters about how he was in sin and like refused to like fellowship with him anymore and they were best friends like there's oh like God. a 30 year friendship that got destroyed because this guy came out and he's like the funny thing is, I, I, I'm friends with this guy now, like, <laughs> ironically. Um, he's like, the funny thing is, like, I came out to your dad before his wedding. I came out to your dad, like, when we were in college. Oh, my God. And your dad, apparently my father, like, almost, like, uninvited him from the wedding because of it. Whoa. So there's these, like, these double standards for, like, the, the non-Christians in our family my, my parents would kind of like look the other way on and be like well they just don't know any better mm-hmm. and then the people of faith in our community where it would be like we're gonna take this like really hard line with you because you should know better right because being gay is a choice so absolutely obviously obviously you're, you're choosing so. you're choosing this and I, I think there's a huge double standard in terms of like what would be considered heterosin and you know, like homo sin, and so you should define those terms. Those are really that's a really interesting. Um, so it's kind of a heteronormative sin, right? So like, so like cheating on your your wife, cheating with um, the secretary, or even like 
living with your girlfriend uh-huh. slash boyfriend, um, any of these things. It's pretty much pretty par for the course now to have, you know, a girl and a boyfriend living together, and not much is said about that anymore. And um, yeah, cheating, divorce, etc., etc. You know, keep going in um, any sexual behavior. It's not condoned, but it's 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 overlooked. It's not irreparable. Like there's like a way to come back from it. Like there's a way to there's like a clear set path of like how to repent and reconcile and like fix it. And it's in in repentant enough. Yeah, but you can't come back from being gay. Yeah. No, and it's like you can't even come out from being yeah. gay. You yeah. know? Like it's it's kind of It um, always has to be a secret. Yeah. You can't use it as your like cute testimony at church to be like, once I was in sin and then I got saved. Right. right. And it's like just even the act of speaking it about you know, like about your same sex attraction means that somehow to people you're um, condemned in and sin. Yeah. It makes no matter of what you're actually doing. So I have a question for both of you. Um, and this is this is your, your classic like um, outsider's perspective on the, being trans. But like within your, your, your experience of realizing that something was different and realizing that um, you weren't fitting in all these binary spaces. Um, was the possibility of being trans some, uh, something that you realized even existed? Was it something like how did you come to realize what options were available to you? Because I think one of the things I struggled with a lot as I was leaving fundamentalism was the lack of imagination for like what was possible for me yeah because i wasn't because so many things had been just like turned off and i was in the dark about so many ways of living that i wasn't aware of what my options were so i just didn't have the imagination to to picture different futures yeah i had no idea i thought i was just broken like i thought like not that god makes mistakes but like what the fuck like I was I felt just like there was something irreparably damaged because I wasn't living up to everything that I was told I should be and I had all of like I got along way better with boys than I did with girls because I didn't share the interests of cooking or curriculum or whatever it was that we talked about and I just remember like I I recently kind of discovered this in therapy, actually, where when people thank me for my leadership, that's a trigger because <laughs> whenever I was thanked for my leadership, like growing up, it was always in a backhanded manner that meant I need to step back and let a boy do it. <laughs> right. Mm. Oh, you're taking too much initiative. Chill right. out. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, there's you're you're a woman. You have to stand back and let men handle things. So I didn't, I didn't even have language for what I was feeling gender wise until I'd like been out for several years, and until uh, it wasn't until I I came out with bi and realized, or came out as bi and realized that there's 
a huge fluid spectrum of everything. Uh, and, and nothing is just one or the other. And then after figuring that out, I realized, oh, well, it's not just in my sexuality that I feel like attraction to whomever and is very fluid. It's also like the way I feel as a person is not one or the other. And then I went down some Tumblr rabbit holes. As you do. <laughs> Tumblr's the great educator <laughs> yeah. for our generation, truly. Yeah, yeah I guess for me, um, I also felt very lost. Um, and, you know, uncertain of who I was for the longest time, not having words, and um, just feeling like I was the only one and there was something wrong with me. For sure, I, I relate to all that. I, However, when I was eight years old, we ran away back from church and we stopped at a gas station and my mother sort of went, oh, look, it's so-and-so from my work um, who's now a woman. And I was sitting in the back seat and I kind of like jumped up and I said, what? What do you mean living? What do you mean a woman? Oh, like, um, she said something about a sex change, and I was like, I was just like all. You were all ears. All ears. Uh, I was standing up. And, you know, my mom was like, she was like turned around and like pushed me down into my seat. And it was like the end of the conversation. But at that moment, I knew that it was possible. Yeah. And, um, I didn't know how, I didn't know any details. Of course, I wanted to know them all at that moment. <laughs> but <laughs> Tell me I, I knew that some, like, it was somehow possible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so then throughout my youth, it was sort of like putting these little pieces together, little scraps, like seeing um, in the National Enquirer, like, man burns penis off in sex change, right? <laughs> and I, I'm like grabbing the the inquirer and like should i cut this out you know should i cut this article maybe it'll give me some (laughs) article right (laughs) yeah the article and um then there was like one time we were in a car lot again it was after church and my mother seems to be the one that spots the the trans people and she's like i i think that she said to my father "I, i think that's um a transvestite, and, and that was the first time I heard that word. Hmm. And um, meaning, and in this case, it, this person was going from female to male, and I was like, "Where, where?" <laughs> you know. And um, she's like, "Sit down, sit down." And then, um, of course, then I took out my parents' um, big unabridged Webster's dictionary. <laughs> you know, that's like two feet <laughs> yes. thick. I had one. Uh, opened it up and you know I, re- I read what transvestite meant and I'm thinking like this is not quite it but it's somewhere closer you know so. so do you think your mom knew like do you think your mom like knew you were trans and was just trying to like prevent you from figuring it out but she was hyper aware of it in the world around her I don't know because it, it's funny because there's another thing that I remember actually <laughs> now that, that happened with my 
father, my brother and I, I don't know how old we were, but we were going to this wrestling event and we were in his truck and he was listening to a classic rock radio station and Lou Reed's um, Wild Side song came on. So, and like, it was on for a little bit. And then the, the part that starts to talk about the, um, the trans woman plucking her eyebrows and shaving her legs, that he was the she, and then take a walk on the wild side. I remember my dad kind of like stopping and, you know, hurry, hurrying up and turning the, turning the radio off at that point. So I do think that my parents were aware of that, and I, I don't know. I don't know if it was particularly because of me. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just hypersensitive to yeah, it. Yeah, they were sensitive to it. Yeah. That reminds me a little bit um, when when I was in high school and I was learning about genetics. I learned about. Uh, being intersex in intersex conditions and mm-hmm. Klinefelter syndrome, and I would, it it blew my mind because I was like that, that feels like me. And I had no no way to like explain it or learn more about it because my parents believed doctors were evil, um, so <laughs> right. I was like really cut off. But but ever since I had taken that like, I'd I'd like gone through that book. Every time people kept talking about how gender was binary, I would always, always, always be like, no, intersex people exist. Like, there, there's, there's science to it. Like, there is actual conditions that mean that you can be something that isn't one or the other. And I, like, held on to that nugget of truth until, yeah. like, I was yeah. able to get out. But it was, like this weird secret truth that I just had and I held on to because that explained so many things. That was always in the back of my mind too with all the John Piper like godly manhood and womanhood nonsense with this like all these situations where you're like well a woman can be a boss in this circumstance but not if she's making the man do this thing or that thing. Right. Like I always remember thinking like yeah but like there's 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 whole other cultures that don't do that and there's kinds of people that don't fit into this and I don't know if this is the way the Bible interpreted things. Right. Well, thank you for joining us, Reagan. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, and uh, looking forward to talking to you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.